Welcome to Cisco Champions Radio. Today we'll be talking about viral with Cisco experts Vernon, Simon, and Ralph. Um, and our Cisco champion, Malcolm, welcome back. Thank you. Uh, as for me, I'm Amy Lee San Juan from the Cisco product marketing team, and I'll be playing the part of moderator. All right. To my Cisco SMEs, uh, can you introduce yourself and your roles at Cisco? So I'm Simon Knight. I'm a software engineer. All right. Yeah, I'm Ralph. I'm uh, the tech lead for the product. Uh, I'm the one with the German accent. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and I'm Vern Palango. I'm the product manager for Viral. All right. Malcolm? Yeah, and I'm Malcolm Budden. I'm Cisco champion. I'm a network architect. I uh, work with different customers. And you can get me on Twitter at, at Malcolm Budden. All right. Thanks, everyone. All right. Ralph, can you give us an overview of what we're talking about today? Yeah, so Viral basically is a network simulation platform that orchestrates virtual machines. And when we orchestrate virtual machines, we mostly talk about orchestrating Cisco platforms, Cisco routers, Cisco switches, Cisco devices that have a representation as a virtual machine so that we can design and configure and control entire networks within a simulated network within a simulated environment where we basically orchestrate these VMs, right? What we do there is we get from the business units, we get what we call internally reference platforms. These are the switch representations or the router representations, which are being built from the same source code as the actual physical uh, or the system, the operating systems that are running on physical devices, but they come in a virtual machine form factor. And this is what we then bring up as a virtual network topology. And we have this entire thing bundled in a virtual machine itself, so we can run this thing in a box. So basically, spin up a network inside of a computer. Okay. All right. All right, Malcolm, you have the, the first question and probably yeah. the next several ones. <laughs> yeah, so I guess like, one of, the, one of the, the first question I'll probably ask you is, um, like the viral's been out for a few years now, so where are we uh, with the product? It's uh, what version are we at? Uh, what are some of the new features that we can look forward to seeing in the yeah. future? So viral two will be out end of February. We're aiming for very soon now. It's a ground up rewrite, so we're running, as Ralph mentioned, the reference platforms. They will be the same. We still run them in a virtual environment. Everything on top of that's been rewritten based on years of customer feedback. So we've got a new user interface, we've got a new middleware component that gives us a lot more features and addresses a lot of the pain points that pe people have brought up in the past. Yeah. So what uh, what sort of uh, steered you guys in the direction of like developing the product and uh, to Viral2? Was it customer feedback? Or a lot of customer feedback, a lot of internal feedback. The market's evolved since then. Network automation's become a thing since we started five, six years ago. So trying to address that feature set as well. Yeah. So what, what in particular is uh, different to viral version one? So one of the things uh, that we that we heard quite a lot is that there is, you know, it's it's very difficult to install. The previous version is difficult to install. Um, there is a lot of stuff that is, um, you know, cl quite clunky. So memory usage. Uh, so you would basically require like five gigs of memory for the system without doing anything just because we use open we used to use OpenStack in the past. So it's difficult to install, uses a lot of resources, is quite quite clunky in, in, in how you use it because you have to install uh, an application that was Java based. Uh, and people really did not like that Java based front end. So they were asking for having everything integrated into an HTML interface, user interface. So all of that stuff we we have taken and and tried to 
re-architect the entire system from the bottom up. And, and the most important thing there for us was to have a solid set of API, RESTful API calls that we can build a system upon, right? So the architecture had this API controllability or like everything being done using an API uh, as a, a first citizen, like something that is like, you know, really important and fundamental to the entire system. So we, we architected it around this API set um, and we tried to, you know, use modern components like an HTML5, HTML5 user interface um, and get rid of OpenStack to reduce the resource usage, reduce the complexity because all of that stuff that OpenStack brought with it, I mean, that could be, you know, it could fail. It could be difficult to reconfigure and all of these things, they added up to this thing that Barber One was in the past. And now we yeah. have something that is much smaller, much more compact, much more efficient and much more streamlined to also facilitate the things that you know automation requires and so on and so forth. And, and that's really critical because if the system's not totally reliable and using it through user interface, it's annoying. If you're using it for network automation to test whether your network's going to work or not, you don't want any false positives. You want to rely on it. If it fails, it's because there's a failure in your network. Yeah. So getting that robustness to the really the next level was critical to make this accessible to the network automation use case. Okay. Um, so what looking forward, obviously there's a lot of change in the industry just now. There's a lot of change uh, with software-defined solutions, etc. Part of that, um, optimizing the platform, is that to accommodate um, for being able to run things like SD-WAN and things which are maybe more resource-intensive? Yeah, one of the great things about the new platform is how far we now have set ourselves up with a foundation that we're going to build for, for the future. The old platform really was limiting us. So we, we only could take the platform so far in certain directions. While, while what we're releasing today is, is fantastic and it's better than what we had before, what's even more possible or better is where we're going to be able to, uh, to take it as we uh, at, at other, not talking about roadmap, obviously, but but the uh, being that I'm going to get yelled at if I do, but the uh, but but the uh, the the uh, it gives us a foundation to build in the future. And now, with the advent of, of DevNet and and all the things we're going to do there, it, it really acts as a central tooling platform in anybody trying to do mm. Net DevOps within yeah. an organization becomes because it becomes the central simulation platform that you can now hook. Yeah. Ansible. You can do test all your Python API coding, all of that in a in a, in yeah. a great environment, and 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 it's going to really be a central point of enabling that that part of network management. And, and, and to the specific question about SD WAN and, and, and other reference platforms or other operating systems that we could take on board, it, as I said in the beginning, it's basically an orchestration platform. So what is being orchestrated is not really, you know. We are not limited, basically, right? So we can pretty much bring everything on board that can be run in an x86 VM, right? So SD-WAN is a perfect example because software-defined is our sweet spot, right? So we run software to, to run virtual networks. So everything that is already a software that runs in a virtual machine is kind of, uh, you know, super good for us because we can pretty much just take what's already mm -hmm. there. Same goes for most of the security appliances and security stuff that's available in in a, in a virtualized form factor already. So those are things that we can easily onboard. Right now, we have not bundled them um, as part of the 
of the offering that we give to customers, but but we want to have these things um, like you you bring your own bottle kind of concept where you bring your own software and bring it on board. We have these mechanics built into the product already where you can define your own maybe third-party device that you want to simulate as part of your overall topology yep. so it's not restricted to Cisco components. One of the things uh, um, that kind of rings a bell from when we're talking about the like, the limitations, I think in the previous version of Viral, there was a 20-device limit. Has that changed in the new version? So so what we'll be shipping will be, for 2.0, will be essentially the same um, same price points and same feature set. So if you've already got an existing subscription to Viral 2 or Cisco Modeling Labs, which is the enterprise version, that will continue on. We're exploring the market and seeing what else we do there, but initially it will be the same as today. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, so the system requirements then, have those changed uh, in the new They version? have significantly changed. Um, so previously, we were distributing the system in the version one, we were distributing the system as a OVA that has everything inside of it, right? So meaning that it has the, the base operating system, our own application that controls the network and like, controls basically the thing, and then the reference platform images, which are like these disk images that represent routers and switches, right? Everything rolled into one big thing. That was like, I don't know, five, six gigabytes in size, right? Uh, what we've done now is we, we separated these things into different parts. What we built as a, as a as the actual product that we built is an RPM that is roughly 70, 70 megabytes in size, right? So quite small. Um, we packed this into an OVA uh, that is roughly 680 or something megabytes in size. So that includes the CentOS operating system that, we, that we've built upon it. Um, and, but it doesn't include those reference platform images. So basically, we have this 680 megabyte sized OVA, and then you get the reference platform images, which are quite static. I mean, they are not changing that much, right, as a separate download. Um, so that's what you have to actually download. If, if you do an upgrade, that's even less because the upgrade wouldn't just be th those 70 yeah. megabytes of RPM. So to, so to right? dumb it down for myself then, like previous version, everything was included in the OVA. Correct. New version, you've got the base platform and you pick and choose. Yep. And that, that's that is how the long-term goal, right? That we could actually go and could say, okay, I, I want this, this, and this, and you're like a la carte kind of thing. And yep. then you just pull that down from CCO or wherever that would be. Yep. Right now, you would still have this kind of big CD-ROM or ISO file that you have to download and yep. attach to the thing. Um, so, But that's still better because you uh, don't have, if we upgrade some code, you don't have to download that five or six gigabyte size thing. Yep. That's quite a lot of thing to just, uh, software just to, to upgrade a minor piece of code, for example. Um, on the runtime side, we've also improved significantly because previously, as I said, with OpenStack, you would be running or using five gigabytes of memory just for doing nothing because Neutron and Nova and all these OpenStack services, they would require a lot of memory. The new uh, approach basically takes around 700, 800 megabytes of memory for idling. Mm -hmm. So it gives you a lot more space uh, to actually run virtual machines or routers and switches uh, instead of uh, you know just using a lot of space for the you know, OpenStack goodness, right? Yeah. Okay, so I, I, I want to make sure that everybody understands, like, the, the new features. So uh, is there anything that we've missed about that specifically yet that you'd like to talk about? Yeah, so like we said, we've basically rebuilt the entire middleware, removed OpenStack and some of the constraints that that gave us. So one of the big things was just installation and upgrades, as Ralph's explained, that's a lot simpler now. 
the licensing is a lot simpler. So the kind of getting it up and running that itself is much yep. more easier to get up and running. When we're using it now with the user interface, we've put a big focus on making that simple, easy to use performance and uh, user experience has been a big aim. That's all user uh, through HTML5 user interface, which means we've got a REST API back. So put a lot of effort into making that user accessible, swagger documentation, you know, the standard things you'll see throughout DevNet, try to be best practice there. We've also got a Python client library written on top of that to make it really easy. So in like five lines of Python code, you can bring up a lab with a few routers connected together. And that yep. really starts to build into the automation use case. And then people have done things like the Ansible playbook built on top of that in turn. And that's when you can start to build up like an SD-WAN lab. And people have been using that, yep. been workshops in uh, DevNet and using that with customers to demonstrate SD-WAN and you know the full life cycle. So that's one of one avenue. In terms of the features itself, by removing OpenStack, we can do things like uh, modifying labs on the fly. So if you've got a big network with big devices that's finally converged, you want to add one new device in, you don't have to shut down the whole thing. So some of these things which are sort of pain points, but they were yeah. huge pain points for some specific scenarios or for a lot of scenarios, it's just streamlined, robustness, usability, just addressing all of those things top to bottom. The, the entire lab lifecycle has changed. So yeah. previously, the lab life cycle was you were forced to do something in design mode, or what was called design mode, and then you had um, uh, what was it simulation. called simulation mode, right? So basically, you could be in either one or the other. So when you when you started in the previous version, when you started a lab, it would uh, propagate that lab, instantiate that lab on the simulation host. And when you stop it, it will basically be destroyed. So whatever you have done on that simulation, it, it, it was gone, right? So whether you installed a license or a piece of software on a server or something, that was just gone. Yeah. Now, with the new lifecycle that we have in Varval 2, it's basically you can start. It's, it, we try to mimic a physical lab as good as we can. So you can start the lab and then you, you get like certain MAC addresses, certain UUIDs, you know, certain things that may be relevant for installing a license on a CSR or, or some other device where you need a license to be installed on. And, and those, those uh, properties, they will not change unless you want them to change, unless you actually destroy the lab. So basically, you can go start a lab, stop a lab, come back next Monday, and when you start it again, then you will have exactly the same environment yeah. as you had left it uh, on the previous start, right? Mm -hmm. So, so that allows you to install licenses to keep mm. all these things installed. Let's say you install a piece of software inside of a server or you upgrade packages, etc. All of that will be the same when you start the lab again. Um, only when you say, okay, I want to explicitly wipe my lab, it would go back to like, okay, destroy whatever you had, like unbox new, new routers and, and have no brand new shiny devices with new MAC addresses, etc. Cetera, et cetera. So that entire lifecycle has changed. Okay, one, one of the things I wanted to ask about as well, um, I think there was hosted options in the previous versions. Is this hosted or is uh, it, it on-premise? It's not hosted today. It's an on-premise software. Though We have some partners out there that have uh, provided hosted options for yeah. them out there. Uh, we don't do it ourselves within Cisco, but there's there's some some folks out there that do it. Okay. So, so in the past, um, with the previous version, there is a, a bare metal... Uh, Packet. Packet.net, yeah. a bare metal hosting provider, whatever yep. that is being called. Um, and they allowed to provision viral into their environment. Um, and and th so they made it pretty easy. And we, we had catered for their needs by, by providing some 
hooks into their infrastructure so that they can bring up such a viral system. Yep. Right now, we have we don't see a reason why it would not work, but we also haven't really tested this out or, or like you know yeah. made sure that it works with viral.2, uh, viral2. Uh, but we will see. I we'll explore that. That's something we that get we it out the door. Do. We're gonna yeah, exactly. go go uh, work with those guys and see yeah. about getting them into yeah. the environment as well. Okay. Oh, good. So obviously, it's um, it can be used as a a, a training tool to for engineers to work their way through their accreditations. Also for lab environments, maybe like Cisco partners might want to use it as an integration testing tool or something like that. So you might have like multiple different people using it. Um, is there any anything at all for security and authentication or anything like that that you want to cover? Yeah. So we've built in like. Uh out of the box now. So in, in version one, things like exposing the console ports would be exposed to anyone who could hit the server. We've put a lot of effort into making IPv4, IPv6 native out the box, all encrypted SSL. We've got uh, things like the a breakout utility. So we've moved away from a desktop client to a web-based client, but we've got a utility that lets you run that on your local machine, expose the ports locally on your laptop, but securely connect back to the server. So you still can do a lot of what you used to be able to do, but in a much more secure way and per user. So especially yep. in Cisco Modeling Labs, which is the enterprise version, multiple users and able to not expose as much as as, as you would previously. So yep. it's much more just encrypted, secure, um, authenticated against each user. And then we're exploring in the future how we could better share labs between different people yep. within right. there. And, and just jumping on something you said, uh, Simon, since you mentioned it, um, just want to make sure everybody out there knows we actually have two brands for the same product. Yeah, there's more than viral, apps. which is yeah. the the personal edition. Yeah, and we have Cisco Modeling Labs, which is the enterprise edition. Yeah, uh, great solution for for larger network providers, enterprises, things like that, where where you're trying to do some pretty heavyweight modeling and and, yeah. and simulation and yeah. uh, that that's so, so to raise raise a bit more awareness about that because I was aware of modeling labs but right. I've not I've not being honest I've not seen it deployed in like you know a lot of places um looked at it when I was at a partner um so wh where would that be positioned give a, give us a sort of use case where modeling labs would be positioned is that um, you know, you're trying to demonstrate a solution to a customer. A lot of customers use it on site to test yeah. test pre-deployment yeah. stuff. Um, some of them, we've got, we had a talk here at Cisco Live last year where people had an entire, uh, very early, uh, very leading the pack in terms of network automation. But before they pushed anything to the network, they'd scripted it up. So they'd push the change. No one could push changes live to a network. They'd yeah. push it to a code repository. So the DevOps pipeline that we're familiar with in software, they actually had that running using Cisco Modeling Labs sitting in the middle. So no staff member could push to the network. It would go through version control software, yeah. all be validated and tested out in Cisco Modeling Labs on the viral platform against virtual machines. And if that passed all their tests, then they would push it to production. So that was one example. People use it for proof of concept, testing out. We had another ISP in the UK that had their IBGP feed coming in, they want to change their routing policy. So modeled up their large internal IBGP network, had the feed coming in, changed the policy, happy with that, copy and pasted that to production. So there's different use cases. We've had um, probably the quirkiest one we've heard of yet was people using this to interview people. Yeah. So a bit like yeah. encoding, you have to do a whiteboard diagram to show you yeah. what you're doing. Uh, we'd had people that were using this as an interview tool. Here's a bit of a network, let's see 
how you'd go troubleshoot yeah. it or yeah. set it up or whatever or if you've got new staff give them this if they break it you just reboot the lab it's a lot safer yeah. than doing that on that and, or and the other the research area like you yeah. know ac- academic use cases yeah. where you have schools or universities running classes where you have like a central installation and you have you know a class full of you know, 20 yeah. 30 students or something that would use lab resources from that single installation that yeah. you could yeah. not do with uh, like a single viral installation because it would just not give you yeah. that many nodes and, and you know size of installation. We've had PhD students doing can, BGP. Can I ask, is, uh, is, any, is dcloud powered off viral or will it be? So dcloud, dcloud uses, so dcloud is the demonstration cloud within Cisco that customers can actually use to uh, experience or test drive uh, Cisco solutions. And a lot of those Cisco solutions, I, I heard a number, I think it is 80%. Yeah of the uh, service provider demonstrations in dcloud are running on top of viral so it's like underneath of all of these things uh and not necessarily always like visible but it's there in dcloud and very heavily used within dcloud and and they've already got the pre-release code for viral 2 there now so they're so that's a viral 2 lab in dcloud so if somebody wants to go and look at viral 2 they can we, we not not quite yet, but not we yet. are we are going to be working on being able to put that out there for okay. folks to look. And at. similarly with the DevNet sandbox, yeah, they they're playing oh, yeah. now to get that up and running yeah. in a similar kind of fashion to DCloud. Yeah. So uh, just um, last few questions in, or last couple of questions. Just jump jumping back to the features. So I'm a say I'm a like a someone going through the certification path. Um, a big I'm learning about networking bits and bytes. I want to do a packet capture. How does that work in viral? Yeah, so in version two, we're we're still expanding this feature. So we've got the ability to capture in line. So you can just in the browser click on a link, get packet capture, and we'll be using T Shark there so you can see the packets flowing. Where in the next release we'll be adding in the ability to download the packet capture and exploring things like being able to stream that to Wireshark. So have that there. Uh, the console is all in the browser as well. So the, the general aim is to make it quick and easy to get onto something yep. if you're interested in it, like access the console or VNC through the browser, but then through things like the breakout tool, the terminal multiplexer, if you want to use iTerm or you want to use uh, secure CRT or your desktop tools, you can still do the power tools. So you get that combination of quick and easy, but also not limiting you to doing the real heavy grade power tools if you want to do that as well. And we, we wanted to provide you know different ways to do the same thing depending on your needs, right? So for someone who just want to have a quick peek on, on, on a link, whether I do see OSPF hellos or something on there without the need to really dig yeah. deep into the packet, the browser-based packet capture is really like a perfect fit. If that person wants to see, okay, what's actually going on and what's like the bits like deep down in my packet, they would require to download that thing um, and, and that's something that we are actively working on. Same goes for the console thing. For some people, it might be okay to just use the browser-based console. For other people, they might want to use their native secure CRT or, or iTerm or whatever application that they have installed locally. So we wanted to provide different avenues, different solutions, or different uh, for the same problem, basically, right? So to solve that problem in different ways so that people can pick and choose what actually suits best their needs. All right, good. Um, so let's put a scenario together. So let's say that I've uh, worked for a partner, I've ordered a multi-technology solution from Cisco, and potentially third-party vendors. I've got some of it, uh, some of it delivered to my lab. Uh, I've got a short time scale to uh, do the pre-build and test, but I'm waiting on equipment. Is there a way that I can do some of it 
um, in viral and then hook external connectivity up yeah. in the yeah. lab. So that, that is also something that we that we've heard a lot of feedback from previous customers or like from customers who have used viral one that it's super complex to set up this external connectivity piece in the previous version you had to use like five different network interface card connected into the viral server and they all served a different purpose and it was very difficult to wrap your head around what these things actually do and why would i need this one and not this one and why would i use when would i use the other one right so in in the in the new version it's all over the same interface. So you can have that external connectivity on the same interface where you actually drive the product, where your API is listening on. But we want to, we can already use more interfaces if you want to have, let's say, like an out-of-band management for your, for your actual access to the APIs where you access the controller, right? And then you have like a network management interface where you connect to your outside world, to your physical devices, as you just described. So we want to expand on that significantly in the future. Basically, we, what we want to do is to have some sort of a, a network editor that you can say, okay, I have these three cards or maybe just a second card in my server, right? The first card is going is being used for my management purposes and the second card is being used to con to interconnect devices, right? And how, how to set this thing up? Should this be a, a bridge device? Should this be a NATA device? Should this have DHCP running or not? Should this have the IPv6 running or not? Uh, so all of these things will be configurable in, in a network editor kind of thing inside of the product. So to improve on that external capability, uh, connectivity connect, uh, capability, uh, but right now already, as I said in the beginning, already it's it's much, much easier to set up external connectivity because you just require this single interface and the system does everything for you. You just point it and say, okay, I want to do network address trans translate mode so everything is being hidden behind the viral host or I want to do bridge mode and then those devices that are on that bridge, they are um, yeah, just exposed in the same network segment. So it's, it's super easy. Cool. Uh, that sounds good. Um, so... Let me just think. So, one one of the things. What about the? So there's some new features. As the I take it, it goes without saying. The documentation will be updated. Where is that kept? Right now, we're in the process. This is uh, part of why I don't have quite a actual release date. We're, we're we're now moving viral and CML onto some more traditional Cisco platforms for putting things out. So actually, some of the things that are I don't want to call it slowing us down. Just, just yeah. uh, getting through some processes is, you know, uh, we're going to be up on so the software going forward. We'll be up on Software Central, Central, and all the support documentation will be on the same support documentation sites that yeah. that all the other Cisco products use. So yeah. we're we're getting out of the. We've been kind of in our own little well, world for a while. That's really good. And yeah. we're moving into the kind of standard Cisco world, and and uh, uh, it just first time through getting it out there. Yeah, we have a little bit of work to do. Oh, absolutely understood. So, um, the probably wrap it up on this question. If you can uh, talk a little bit about the licensing model. Sure, uh, we've moved to smart licensing, so we're now using Cisco smart licensing for everything that, that involving uh, viral. So, on the viral side, you're buying through the CLN store. Okay. To to purchase that. So you don't actually need a smart account for viral. We actually manage the smart account on uh, inside Cisco for all the viral personal edition customers. For CML, it's going to be just like every other smart yeah. smart license product that yeah. you have. You buy it. The smart license entitlement will be moved to your account. You download the software. 
apply it and you're running. And so, especially for personal edition, like we used to use salt for licensing and upgrades and things yeah, we're like sure that. Yeah, everybody's going to be really happy not to talk about salt anymore. That, that created a lot of complexity and just made it harder to upgrade. So simplifying yeah. that so, just almost one touch really. So from a technical point of view, what we had in the past was pretty complicated, um, especially in a corporate environment where you had salt talk to to some servers within Cisco on very unusual TCP ports. You had to open up two TCP ports on 4505 and 06 or something. Um, and that usually was a problem in corporate environments where they said, you know, why would we open up this thing, right? With smart licensing, everything is uh, TCP 443, like standard TSL, uh, TLS. So um, it should be much easier to license the thing. It's just one single token that you paste into the system. You hit register, and the system goes out, talks to the, the licensing server at Cisco. And after 10 seconds or something, everything goes green, assuming your token is valid. Um, and, and then you're licensed, right? That's so it. That's, that's really the theme top to bottom is everything's just been about simplicity. Simplifying The things. whole way from installation, upgrading, licensing, using the system, just simple, robust, focus on ease of use. All right. This has been another great episode of Cisco Champions Radio. I really hope it goes viral. There we go. Uh, there go. Got it in there. <laughs> I want to thank. Done there. <laughs> Not the first. Uh, I want to thank all of you for joining in today, and especially to Vernon, Simon, and Ralph for sharing their insights, and to uh, Malcolm for hosting today's session. Really appreciate it. Look for this episode and other episodes on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever you grab podcasts. I'm Amy Lee San Juan, and it was a pleasure to play the part of today's moderator. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.